This evening, we continue our Sunday night sermon series through the book of Daniel. We'll look at Daniel chapter 4 this evening. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll want to turn to page 740 through 742. A brief outline of the chapter that we'll read in a moment. The first couple verses there through verse 18. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, gives an introduction. And then he tells of a dream that God gave him. Then, in verses 19 through 27, Daniel interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. Then, in 28 through 33, verses 28 through 33, we see the humiliation of King Nebuchadnezzar, followed by, in verses 34 through 37, the restoration of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, this is roughly after Daniel has served in King Nebuchadnezzar's court for 40 years. This will be the last time that we hear about King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. We'll have successive kings in the coming chapters. But here, this is one final account of this man's life. And here we see the pagan king of Babylon finally come to worship the one true God. Before we read Daniel chapter 4, let us pray and ask for God's help this evening. Our great God, on the first day of the world, you commanded light to shine out of darkness. And on this, the first day of the week, would you shine in our hearts and give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And as we have just sang, we pray that you would grant us grace to read Mark, your holy word. It's truth with meekness. Help us to receive it that we might live by your holy precepts. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, hear the word of God from Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples and nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show signs and wonders that the Most High has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in bed. The fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, 
Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. And its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation. Because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are. For the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My lord. May the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens live, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beast of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men, and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity." 
all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence, for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you. Until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Amen. And that ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. One of the consistent themes throughout the book of Daniel is the sovereignty of of God, the true King of Heaven. And if you think about it, some of the most memorable lessons from Scripture come from those who rebel against God's sovereign purposes. In Numbers 22, we see a prophet named Balaam who insists on being a prophet for hire and tries to curse God's people and tries to take money in order to speak against the Israelites. So as he is on his way and he is journeying, there comes a place in the past and he's riding a donkey. And then an angel blocks the path. Balaam doesn't see the angel, but the donkey does. And if you don't Believe that this is in the Bible. If you are new to church and new to the Bible, this is in Numbers 22. Go read it. Balaam starts beating his donkey, and the donkey turns around to him and says, Dude, what's up? There's an angel. Pretty thick-headed. Then there's another story, and it involves 
animals and beasts. It's the prophet Jonah. Jonah, who was a Jew, was told by God to go and preach to the Ninevites, his enemies. He didn't like that. So he set sail not for Nineveh, but to Tarsus. In Jonah 1 and 2, God sends a storm. Jonah confesses the storm has come because I'm fleeing what God has commanded me to do. You need to throw me overboard. And as he does, as he's thrown overboard, swallowed by a large fish. It's amazing. These men, as they rebel against God's sovereignty, God uses beasts of burden. He uses a giant from the sea. Now, here in Nebuchadnezzar's case, he does not honor God as sovereign. And he himself, for a time, is turned into a beast. What's Nebuchadnezzar's problem? Well, he told us right there at the end. In verse 37, look back there, the last phrase. And those who walk in pride, he, God, is able to humble. That was Nebuchadnezzar's problem. He did not honor God as a sovereign king of the universe because of his own pride. So God humiliated him. God judged him. C.S. Lewis called pride in mere Christianity the great sin. In some sense, pride is the sin behind all other sins. Rejecting God, wanting our own way. The essence of pride is self-centeredness, and one person has written, the pleasure of the proud is not just to have something, to have more of it than anyone else. We see that here with King Nebuchadnezzar. It's not just to be something, but to be better than anyone else. We saw that here in Daniel chapter 4. Pride, the great sin, causes people to rebel against God because he is above them. And it also causes people to despise fellow human beings because in their view, they are below them. And the Bible is very clear on what God thinks about pride. Three times in the scriptures. Proverbs 3.34, James 4.6, 1 Peter 5.5. 5. God's word tells us God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Well here, Daniel chapter 4 gives us a testimony of God's opposition to the proud and His grace to the humble. So as we consider the chapter, I want to draw out three things for us. I want us to see the blindness of pride. That's the first thing we'll consider tonight. Then the callousness of pride. And lastly, the destruction of pride. Let's begin with the blindness of pride. It is because... Of Nebuchadnezzar's pride, he does not honor God as the Most High. That is the most repeated phrase in the chapter. The point that God wants to communicate to Nebuchadnezzar 
is that he is the most high. And that is the title given to God in verse 2, in verse 17, 24, 25, 32, and 34. So there, five times, six times in the chapter, God is identified as the most high. But it's not merely the title that God wants to communicate to Nebuchadnezzar. There is a lesson embedded with that. And it makes it very clear for us. In verse 17, look back there with me. There. The sentence is by decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Then, once again, in verse 25, that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And then again in verse 32, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Nebuchadnezzar, after this occurrence, has written this letter. He's written a memoir of sorts, a tell-all, an encyclical that was then sent out for all those under his reign to read. And in recounting this, he finally got the point. The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. But in the midst of it, he's blind to this truth until God uses extreme measures to teach it to him. What is Nebuchadnezzar blind to? Well, you could hold your place there in Daniel 4, but remember how the book of Daniel began. The book of Daniel began with a historical statement in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. But then, in verse 2, we get a theological interpretation of that historical occurrence. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar was blind to. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. It was the Lord who gave Judah into his hand. It was the Lord who gave everything that Nebuchadnezzar had into his hand. It is the Lord who gave him the victory against his neighboring nations. It is the Lord who has exalted him. And that's what the dream's interpretation is about. Nebuchadnezzar is given this image of you're this tree, a tree that extends all the way to the heavens. But just as quickly as you've been exalted, even faster you can be demoted. All of the earth looks to you, King Nebuchadnezzar. All of the known universe honors you as the ruler of Babylon, but you can be lopped off. You can be cut down. 
Nebuchadnezzar thinks he is indispensable. He thinks he is the greatest ruler. So what does God do? God afflicts him with a mental illness to where that he is unable to sit on his throne, but he is driven from his throne. And for seven periods, most Old Testament scholars believe that this is probably at least a period of seven years that we're meant to understand what happens. He is removed from reigning. Now think about what God is showing Nebuchadnezzar. You think that you're in charge. You think that all the earth looks to you. You will eat grass like an ox in a field for seven years. And the kingdom won't skip a beat. Everything will go on. This is a different lesson for us in the book of Daniel. God is using Nebuchadnezzar's testimony for our instruction in a way that's different than what we've seen in previous chapters. In the first three chapters of the book of Daniel, the main lesson is how was God's people going to be faithful in exile? How would they be faithful with all these external pressures? The temptation of the king's food. The threat that comes if you don't bow down to the king's idol. It's external pressures that come on Daniel and his friends in the first three chapters. But here, for the believer, God uses Nebuchadnezzar to show that it's not just an enemy that is without, but there is an enemy from within. And that we are to see Nebuchadnezzar and learn from the blindness of his pride. To recognize where pride has come in our hearts and has deceived us and blinded us that who to who is really in charge of our lives. Pride is a characteristic of the citizens of Babylon. And each of us must humble ourselves and proclaim that we are under the reign of the Most High. And we are not citizens of Babylon. But it's not merely the spiritual blindness of pride. There's also a callousness from pride we see in Nebuchadnezzar's life in this chapter. He's blinded to the truth and his heart is hard. Think about this. This man has become so callous to God's word to him. He's become callous to special revelation. This isn't the first time that God has given this man a dream. In chapter 2, he gave him a dream of an image in which Nebuchadnezzar was the gold top of this image. Daniel interpreted the dream for him. The point of the dream was not Nebuchadnezzar's enduring greatness, but his temporary greatness. And that there would be an enduring kingdom that would come that would be not of this world. But Nebuchadnezzar misses the point in chapter 2. So in chapter 3, he decides to build himself an image of gold and command that everyone bow down and worship it. 
And in doing so, three brave Hebrew boys, young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to bow, as we heard last week. And in that event, Nebuchadnezzar cast them into a fiery furnace. And God himself, in the pre-incarnate Christ, shows up by the side of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Nebuchadnezzar saw the fourth man joining the three in the fire. But he's still here, callous to God's special revelation. And God gives him yet another dream. And in the dream itself, the watcher, the angel, basically interprets the dream to him. And he still needs Daniel to come and interpret it and apply it. We see the callousness of pride in his life. We may see that in our own lives as we open God's word. Sometimes as we sit under the preaching of God's word. We may not feel convicted. We may feel unmoved. We may feel uninspired by it. It could be that pride has gripped our minds and our hearts and made us hard-hearted to the truth. Because the truth of God's word often wounds before it heals. And in our self-centeredness and in our sinfulness, we want to avoid the conviction of sin. We want to avoid the ways in which the scripture will rebuke and reproof us. And pride insulates us from the surgeon's scalpel that would cut away the things that aren't pleasing to God. And to avoid the word of God. He's callous to special revelation. And related to that, we see he's callous to his own sin. Look back at verse 27 of chapter 4. Verse 27, Daniel concludes with an invitation for Nebuchadnezzar to repent. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. But then, what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Well, in verse 29, at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty powers, my royal residence, and for the glory of my majesty? It was a vivid dream. God had spoken to him. God had confirmed it through Daniel. God directly applied it to Nebuchadnezzar's rule and reign, and it only took 12 months for him to forget that. It seems bizarre but at some point over the course of a year he just said eh, that's not going to happen he checked his bank account he had his servants go wax his chariot he enjoyed the finest food the finest wines and said that was a nice morning 
He was callous to his own sin, his own soul, his own heart. Daniel identified his sin. He said, practice righteousness in your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. That there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Not only was he one who rejected the Most High God, but he had placed himself in such a way above the rest of the people in his kingdom that he was callous towards them. He was an oppressor. He built the city of Babylon on the backs of servants and slaves and people whom he has conquered. So as he's sitting that on his palace balcony, he's looking out. And he sees the walls of Babylon. They say that the walls of Babylon were so big that they could race chariots on them. Then he looks out and he sees ornate temples to his gods, to the Babylonian gods. He has built himself a new palace for his wife. And he's given her a garden. It's known as one of the seven ancient wonders of the world or one of the seven wonders of the ancient world that the hanging gardens of Babylon he's looking at all this and he's built it on the backs of Hebrew servants and other conquered people and Daniel told them repent this is what repentance will look like humble yourself and no longer oppress those under your reign but he hasn't he's built this great city he's treated people like beasts of burden and God turns him into a beast he treated men like oxen and God will make him like one here we see the callousness of pride towards God and towards others He has rejected God and oppressed others. Pride is what keeps us from reconciling with spouses and family members. Pride is what causes division and hurt and bitterness in the church. It is a sin against God. And it rips apart friends, family, and churches. But Nebuchadnezzar has his but God moment. His but God moment where God restores to him as he humbles himself. And God destroys the pride of Nebuchadnezzar. It is a merciful humiliation that God shows to this man. And as he lifts his eyes to heaven, his reason is restored. His kingdom is restored. And he confesses his sin. He confesses that God is righteous and how he has treated him. 
It is no longer signs and wonders that he has performed for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God has performed signs and wonders to Nebuchadnezzar. And there, in verse 37, at the conclusion, again, Nebuchadnezzar, in the first person, says, I praise and extol the honor the king of heaven. And listen, the man who was driven to insanity says this of the one who drove him to the field. For all his works are right and his ways are just. It is a true testimony, I believe, that the man did become a worshiper of the one true God. We see this happen in other men's lives, most tellingly, in a young, prideful, zealous Pharisee of Pharisees. A man named Saul, who despises the first believers, who terrorizes the church, who God then humiliates who blinds him and removes his calloused heart and gives him a new heart and makes him an apostle of Christ. A generation ago, we saw in a man that many of you have heard his story and testimony before, Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson, for a period in the early 70s, was one of the most important men in the entire country. Because he was special counsel to President Nixon. And Chuck Colson would share in his testimony, he's since gone on to be with the Lord, that he had this great sense of pride because he had access. And he advised one of the most powerful men in the world. And he did so. Until 1973, in the Watergate scandal. And he was found guilty and found himself in federal penitentiary. But he would testify along the lines of the most humiliating experience of his life was the best thing to happen to him. This is God's way with sinners. It's a merciful humiliation. And if you're a young person in here and you are running from God, this story should give you a healthy fear of God to turn and humble yourself before he has to do it. But the good news is that the Most High, the one who deserves all honor and praise, the one who gives the kingdoms of this world to kingdoms of men for temporary periods in time, the Most High himself became the most humble. Here in this passage, we are, uh, it's alluded to the royal palace of great splendor that Nebuchadnezzar built for himself. But Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is, he lived here. He said of his own dwelling, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Nebuchadnezzar had servants waiting on him hand and foot. 
Not so for Jesus as he walked the earth. In fact, one time he walked into the house of a religious leader, Simon. And Simon did not welcome him with common hospitality, did not offer to wash his feet or anoint him with oil. And so in Luke 7, it was a woman of the city of ill repute, a notorious sinner who comes and has to welcome Christ. And Jesus said, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. The one who is Nebuchadnezzar's judge, when he himself stood trial, the chief priests and the whole council sought false testimony against him so that they could put him to death. And many false witnesses came forward. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was the greatest king. But as the true king of the universe hung on the cross, it was said he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. Nebuchadnezzar stripped of his dignity. Christ on the cross stripped of his clothes his dignity, and declared a curse. Because as it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. We are prideful people. But we can be redeemed. We can be saved. Because the Most High became the most humble and died for prideful sinners like us. So would you come to him tonight? Ask him to show you your pride. If hard-heartedness has taken a hold in your life, and would you behold the Savior stripped of his dignity, dying in your place for your sin. And would you follow him in the path of humility? The good news is that the one who is most humble is most exalted in the risen Lord. And it's to him that we look. Let us pray. Our great God, help us to do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit, but that we would in humility count ourselves not as significant as others, that we would treat others as more important than ourselves. We ask that we would not look to our own interests, but to the interests of others, that you would give us the mind of Christ Jesus, who though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God 
a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and taken the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. Therefore, God, you have exalted your son Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So tonight we bow our knee to him. We do not ask others to bow the knee to us. God, we do not ask you to bend and bow to our will, but we submit to your sovereign rule and reign and confess that your son, Jesus, is Lord. And we do so to your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.